Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. So we've been journeying through 1 Corinthians this year, and the last little while we've been doing this sub-series on the spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians 12. We've been in 1 Corinthians 12 now for probably four or five weeks, and um, it's been so good to see how God has a desire and wants us to desire the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in order to reveal His heart to the world, in order to reveal His goodness, His power, His ability, His grace, in order to make a difference. So God calls us to make a difference, but doesn't necessarily just leave us to try and figure out how to do that in our own strength or in our own abilities or according to our own goodness. But instead, He gives us the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be able to make a difference in our world and to be on mission. And there's a certain attitude and there's a certain heart and there's a certain spirit that goes with all of that. And that's what I want to talk about today as we finally transition. <laughs> Some of you, you're, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, like the pages are creased. They're, you know, they're starting to fade out from exposure to sunlight. We've been in that chapter for so long that, you know, the page is a little bit brittle. But we're finally turning the page today. We're still referring to 1 Corinthians 12, but we're going into 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to share a message today called a more excellent Way. Paul says, I'm, I'm going to show you now a more excellent, a still more excellent way to be able to reveal God's heart and make a difference in the world. And that really, it's so instructive for us as the church, how we should live and how we should operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But before we get to all of that, I thought I would just let Brent just to share with us maybe uh, what for you in these past few weeks has been talking about the gifts, talking about uh, you know, Paul addressing the church on the issue of pride, talking about the body of Christ, all those kinds of things. What for you has been the most impactful or has stood out the most in what we've covered so far? Thanks, Pastor A. Um, I think, you know, it's been so great for us to to learn about all the different giftings and, you know, find out what, you know, each of those look like and how we are each able to do those things, you know, how God uses each and every one of us in a specific personal way. But I think for me, something that was really highlighted in last week's message was the fact that, you know, we can all do those things, but it, it has its most impact when we do that together as a body, together in the church. And I think for me, that really highlighted the fact that, you know, if we truly want to see change in our city, truly want to see change in our nation and uh, and truly see lives change, we need to come together and be part of a local body of Christ and be part of the church and serve and get get involved in that community and, you know, play the part yeah. that God wants you to play in that community in order to be uh, the most impactful that you can be with your life. Yeah, that's so good. I think what was quite... Um, interesting about how God set it up is that he almost completely disallows a single person to be the ultimate hero. Like we've already had the ultimate hero and that was Jesus and nobody else gets to be the ultimate hero. Now we're all together in this. And it's like, if you want the full measure of the Holy Spirit, if you want to operate in the gifts, if you want to do all these things, yep, you're going to have to do it together. No, God, but I want to do it alone. I want to have every gift and be able to do everything. And I want to be kind of like a one-man show. No, nope, not going to work that way. You, if you don't depend on others, if you don't come together as a community, we will not be able to show the world who Jesus is. 
And so he, God almost put this, this clue, this design, this, it's a prerequisite to experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit is that you've got to come together first. And, uh, and I think that is so powerful. And so these gifts are things that we operate in as a community. It's there to edify the community. And it's also there to empower us to be on mission in our community um, beyond the church itself. And so I think that is so powerful. And, 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 I, and I love the, the fact that what it does is, is it reveals God's heart. And it also reveals God's kingdom. The, the kingdom of God is where God rules. It's his rulership. It's his sovereignty. It's his power. It's his ability. And we are able to take the reality of everything that God is, who he is, his power, his strength, his ability, his grace, his, his message of truth. And we're able to take that out to our world and say, this is who God is. And in that way, we bring the kingdom of God to the kingdom of this world. We show the people of this world who the creator of this world truly is. And, and we do that, as, as we read last week, the kingdom of God, and I love where Paul says this, he says, the kingdom of God is not in talk. It's not just about philosophy. It's not just about, you know, some musings or some opinions or some philosophy. No, the kingdom of God is in the demonstration of power. It's not just empty talk. It's not just empty words, but there's some some real supernatural ability and power that is expressed through the body of Christ in order to make a difference. And those are, those are two words that I think have kind of surprised us and surprised me in this series that it's almost like the Holy Spirit kept highlighting them, even though I hadn't pre-planned it. Um, and the one was the, where it says the manifestation of the Spirit. And I've, I think I've mes- mes- mentioned that in every single message we've shared so far. There's a manifestation. It's something real. It's something palatable. It's something genuine and in time and space that we can experience in our lives, in our context today. So the, the first word there was, was the word manifestation. But the other word that has just crept up on us here is the word demonstration. The kingdom of God is in a demonstration of power. And, and it made me think about the fact that what God wants to do is demonstrate himself to us. Now, the ultimate demonstration was obviously, and you know, it will always be the ultimate demonstration, was in the life and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That is the ultimate demonstration. But even now, God demonstrates himself in many other parts in Scripture, in Hebrews and in First uh, John and other places. It talks about this in Romans. Romans 3 says it over and over again. Romans 5 says it. We'll look at that in a moment. But over and over and over, it says God wanted to demonstrate. He wanted to show. He wanted to reveal, which... I think a lot of people feel, and I know that some famous atheists like Bertrand Russell and other people have said that, that God has gone to pains to hide himself. But the truth is actually quite the opposite. God has, has constantly revealed himself, revealed himself, revealed himself. But he still requires us to have faith in what he has revealed, faith in Jesus. But still now his heart is through his church. And I think that is so important because that's where where our mission and our vision comes in. Through his church, God wants to still reveal his power, reveal his kingdom, reveal his love to a broken world. And so we really exist to reveal the grace and the love of God to our world. That's why we're here. It's why we exist. It's why we do what we do. And so there is a demonstration where God breaks through supernaturally into our natural reality in order to reveal himself true. Um, Romans 5.8 is just one of the most classic scriptures in all of, of the Bible and, and one that I think we quote 
at least every second week here at Anchor Church because it's so apt in terms of just God's heart for all of us. But it says that, it says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. He shows us his love. He wants us to know that love. It says in that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, when we didn't care about God, when we weren't pursuing God, when we weren't interested in God, Christ died for us. So God demonstrates his love for us through the death of Jesus on the cross. And then he, he continually still asks us and, and, and commands us as a church to repeat that message, to echo that message, to have that message resonate through our churches and through our microphones and through our community groups and, and through our outreaches and through everything that we do as a church, God still wants to reach out to the world. So we see that as God acts and intervenes and heals and speaks through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he is still revealing himself to us and through us, through his body, the church. You know, we're kind of sitting with our, our legs crossed like this right now as we've got our, our Bibles on our laps and, and everything. But I don't know if you've ever sat like this for a long time. In fact, I think it might have been last week's recording when I had sat like this for quite a while. And when I got up, my leg was completely dead. <laughs> I tried to walk. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever had pins and needles in your leg and or in your legs and told yourself, it's just a sensation. I'm going to walk through this. I'm going to walk it off. I'm going to pretend like it's not there. And you maybe walk about 10 meters before you're like, actually, I was kidding myself. There's no ways I can walk, you know. Um, I felt like that many times. Whenever my leg goes dead, it's like, cooperate, leg, cooperate. My, dead, my, my leg is like, I'm not here. I'm in heaven. I'm gone, you know. And, um, and so if you've ever had a part of your body go numb or go dead and try to get it to do what you wanted it to do, you'll kind of know what I feel is possibly something that God feels when it comes to his body, he said, here I've got the body of Christ. Here I've got the church, which is, you know, it speaks about how we are all members of the body. And individually, we're members of that body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And God is saying, I want you to not just trust in me, in Jesus or in me for salvation, but also for mission, for vision, for the future, for purpose and calling and, and the ability to make a difference. And so God wants his church to pick up on their God-given destinies and to walk it out in order to make a difference. And I think that as I think about large populations, large groups of Christians that trust in Jesus or have possibly trusted in Jesus for salvation at one point, but just absolutely refuse. They're just not interested in picking up God's vision for their lives, God's purpose for their lives, God's you know, heart for their lives. They're, they're way more interested in, in, you know, making enough money or, you know, pursuing whatever next hobby they've got or like running after some other, some or other thing that they feel is going to fulfill them in, in life. And then when we come and we say, but God's got a plan for your life, you know, come on the growth track. Let's show you what you, how you were put together. Let's go through the way that God designed your personality and, and how he put you together, uh, like it says in, in Psalm 139. And, and let's look at all the gifts that, you know, that God has given you that you can start seeing your destiny and getting involved and making a difference through the church. Um, and, and then people are like, I don't, I don't really have time for that, you know. And I can imagine how many Christians are in some senses deactivated, you know. Um, I had a knee operation, um, you know, a year or two ago, 
and as they drilled through the bones in my knee uh, and and you know in the in the different parts of my leg my uh my quadricep completely deactivated and that's actually the term that they used with that the doctors used it completely deactivates so it doesn't know how to hold my leg up anymore and it just it just the atrophy is insane you almost lose you know overnight you just lose all of the muscle in the leg and i and and it's the kind of thing that i feel it's a faith muscle that we can so easily allow to experience atrophy in our lives if we don't engage it if we don't practice it if we don't walk it out and i can imagine that for god he's like this is the body of christ and we're going to walk and then like but this part of the leg just doesn't want to work it's just not involved not interested it's off somewhere else pursuing some other dream um and it can feel like i believe i mean i know as a pastor i feel that when i see that in people um but but i can imagine that for god it feels that way that when people never take up the call to be an expression of god's heart to the world and that's what i think paul was addressing with the church in corinth just saying hey you guys are not uh, you know you guys are not coming to the party you guys are not showing up you're pointing to yourselves it's all about you you're creating systems that you know that give you greater honor you're doing all these kinds of things and you're missing the point and it's about God's heart and you're using the gifts in the wrong way and all of these kinds of things. So, you know, uh, let's, let's come home. Let's come home to what it's really all about, about revealing Jesus. Maybe, Brent, I don't know if you have any thoughts on why, you know, having dealt with so many of the people, you know, in our church and in many different churches, having all the discussions we've had with pastors, why do you think people allow themselves or, or keep themselves from engaging? I mean, is it fear? Is it, are they worried about something? Is it purely distraction? Is, you know, what, what do you, in your counseling and time that you've spent with people, what's maybe one or two of the, the biggest things that keep people from engaging with God's call for their lives? I think, um, you know, maybe if I uh, can just jump in before I, I get to that point. I think, you know, I think what I maybe wanted to add to what you were saying just before that is that um, the thing that people don't realize is getting involved and fulfilling a calling in your local body of or your local church um, is actually something that is more fulfilling for you as well than yeah. just serving people or serving God. You know, I think people miss that that part of it. I think they feel like, you know, I'm going to get involved in something and this is just going to drain me more. It's just going to yeah. take more away from me on the weekend. Like, this is my only time that I have off or something like that. When really, um, it's a time where, where the Lord replenishes you and the Lord stirs you up and the Lord gives you fulfillment. And, and you know, I've experienced that in my own life. And I think um, all of us on staff would have experienced that. You know, you feel a little bit drained at times and the Lord just takes over and stirs you up again just because you you're being faithful in what he's called you to do. And then before you know it, you've been working hard, but you're actually just getting more replenished as it goes on. Um, and, and so I think that's also just a different way that people need to look at this. It's not something that's going to take away from them, but it's something that's going to add so much more to their lives. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, another reason why maybe people don't get involved and don't serve is that they, um, I think sometimes people get a little, a little, I don't want to use the word, but maybe a little distant from God in their personal life. Yeah. And I think that leads to them not being stirred up 
to want to serve him and be involved yeah. in him. You know, I think uh, like we've spoken about so often, it's 100% us and 100% God at the yeah. same time. Yeah. So I think sometimes, you know, you need to take that step of faith, uh, even when you don't feel like it. And then God meets you where you're at in that point and yeah. sustains you and grows you. And I think, um, you know, we went as, as a staff, we went to a conference a couple of years back. And one of the pastors there spoke about the fact that if you're still scared of the things this year that you were scared of last year, you haven't grown at all. And that's something that stuck with me a lot. You know, every time I'm scared to do something and, and I tell a lot of people that being in, in ministry or even serving in church, a lot of it is God just asking you to do stuff you're not equipped to do, that yeah. you have no idea what to do. I feel like it's actually the definition of ministry, you know, yeah. <laughs> just do what you don't know how to do. Yeah. And, and so when, when, I, when I face things like that, I, I often think to myself, you know, if God's asking me to do this, he's going to give me the grace to yeah. do that. And it's also an opportunity for me to, to grow and be stretched. And, um, you know, we have Jake sharing so often here at Anchor. And a couple of years back, he spoke to us about God um, stretching your capacity and, and grace giving us enough capacity to do stuff. So, you know, I think some people are a bit fearful in, in stepping out and doing stuff. But I think they just need to get a, a new revelation of the fact that grace is the one that sustains them and carries them, yeah. gives them the ability to, to do what they're called to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that perspective is so important. I think that when you haven't been reading your Bible and you haven't been spending time with Jesus, then you kind of lose touch with the vision and the mission that God has. Because when you're not experiencing God's voice in your own life, then you don't really know how to echo it to others. It's like, oh yeah, I believe in God. I remember now from a few years ago, what, what, what was that church that I went to? You know, it's like, you, you're not connected to the lifeline, which is also why you know, we're online right now, but we, our gatherings are so important because we continually want to encourage people in the message that God has called them to share with others as well. And I think that's, that's so brilliant. The moment we step up, you know, is when we make ourselves available, the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, the unction of God is there to empower us to fulfill all those different parts that God has called us to. Could I add one more? Yeah, please. Yeah, please go ahead. Um, I think a lot of people that, that I, I've, I've dealt with have stayed away from church because they're worried about some sin that they've committed as well in their lives. And, um, and, you know, like we said so many times, we, we're, we're a church for the broken. You know, all of us are broken, and it's not an excuse to sin or to mess up. But this is the only place that's going to transform you away from that. You know, this is the place where God wants to bring you in. And, and getting involved in serving and getting involved in community groups and things like that also gives you the accountability to turn away from that sin. You know, that's part of that grace. Yeah. So, you know, if you think you, you can't come and serve or be part of this because everyone here is perfect, then you, you've got yeah. the complete wrong idea of church. You know, this is the space you need to be. We broke broken people, like we said, uh, uh, coming together and being used by God to fulfill what He's called us to do so together. So good, yeah. And, you know, perfection, uh, um, I remember a pastor saying this years ago, perfection is not a prerequisite to satisfaction. You know, you don't have to be perfect before you can live in a way that is satisfying to God. It's, it's the perfection of Jesus that satisfies God. And from that point, we get to grow and learn and journey with God as we make a difference. Um, but God, you know, and the scriptures clearly show us that, that God wants to reveal himself and he wants to do it through us. And so, as you've just said, like, that is such an incredible privilege that God, just think about this, the creator of heaven and earth has chosen normal people like you and I um, to reveal his heart, his grace, his power to a world that doesn't know him. And so often for me, the question is, how well am I doing that? You know, when I, I remember, you know, having preached sermons and messages from the age of 16 or 17 years old, initially when I was preaching, 
even while I was preaching, I was evaluating my own preaching. Like I'm not just talking to the people or to those that have come to hear, but I'm actually kind of like speaking to myself because I'm in this in internal loop trying to evaluate how well I'm doing it, you know. And and I remember um, a pastor in our in our city or in in Pretoria, um, Rory Dyer, actually saying to me, you know, he only asks himself one question when he's done preaching a message, and that is, did I represent Christ well? And if the answer is yes, then he doesn't think about his sermon anymore. And that was so liberating to me. It's like, did I represent Jesus? I represented him. That's my job. That's my only job. It's not to sound cool. It's not to be great. It's not to wow people. It's to represent Jesus. And if I've done that, then I've done my job. And I think that the, the less focus we have on ourselves and the more focus on how well we're representing Jesus, you know, the less stress we'll actually feel, and the more we'll just operate um, in the, the gifting that God has, has called us to operate in. So a question we often ask ourselves as a church and a staff is how well are we doing that? How well are we representing God's heart? Um, are we praying for people? Are we trusting in the spirit? Are we established in the gospel? Um, are we making God's purpose our primary focus in life? Uh, or are we too busy building our own kingdoms? And I think that's a question every single individual can ask themselves. Like, am I really focused on what God has called me to do? Have I plugged in? Am I connected? Or am I actually, like I do that on a Sunday, but the rest of the time it's about my kingdom, it's about my wealth, it's about my rulership, it's about everything I want. And so we live these kind of disconnected lives. Um, and we believe that life is to be enjoyed um, I mean, you mentioned that now the fulfillment or whatever, like, you know, we love to play golf together or I think maybe you play golf. I do something else. I don't know if you can call it golf, but I, I smack a ball with a stick. Um, we often watch sport and we'll even come together and, you know, invite some friends and, you know, watch golf late at nights, watch the majors together or, or, you know, the rugby or whatever. And, you know, we enjoy going on holidays. We, we hang out with friends but I think that the truth is that what we've experienced is that nothing, nothing, nothing that we can do in this world is more fulfilling than walking out God's purpose for your life. I mean, you know, recently it seems like every second billionaire is heading up to space in their personal <laughs> spaceships. And, you know, I looked at that, you know, what was it, a four or a five minute space flight, zero gravity, whatever, and I thought... How cool will it be to see the world from up there and to experience zero gravity? And I was like, yeah, it'll be pretty cool. I mean, I don't know how many gajillions they're charging for it, but it would be pretty cool. But still nothing compared to what it feels like when God uses you to impact another life. When you pray for somebody and you see that prayer have an impact, when you see somebody healed or, you know, whatever it might be, just when God works through you, when you lead somebody to salvation in Christ, those things far outweigh anything we can experience in this world. And so we're not actually talking about the opposite of enjoyment. <laughs> the most fulfilling and, and enjoyable thing in this world is fulfilling the call and the purpose that God has for you. And that ultimate goal, that ultimate, the ultimate goal of that purpose is to reveal Jesus. And so coming back to the gifts, the gifts are there to point to Jesus, not to point, you know, a lot of people want to operate in the gifts because they want to seem gifted. <laughs> but but it's but it's really not about that. It's really about revealing the heart of Jesus. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, it ends like this. Um, Paul says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. We should have a longing and a desire and a passion to have the gifts. God, grace me with these gifts. And then he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Um, 
you know, Paul says you, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And this is why we desire the gift earnestly, not to show people how spiritual we are or how, you know, amazing we are, but to reveal Christ. So that's why we should desire it. Why should I desire the gifts so that everybody can think I'm gifted? No, so that we can be more effective in revealing Jesus to our world. And that's why Paul goes on to say, okay, but now hang on a minute. I'm going to show you a still more excellent way and even more and even better. Now that doesn't discount the gifts. It just gives the gifts their context. It gives, it undergirds the gifts. It gives them their, their foundation, their purpose, their vision, their perspective. Um, he then passionately goes into 1 Corinthians 13 and declares that if we operate in all the gifts from 1 Corinthians 12, and he mentions a few there, he talks about tongues, he talks about prophecy, he talks about having knowledge and wisdom and faith and the working of miracles and even generosity and self-sacrifice. He mentions all these things. He says, if we can do all of these amazing, powerful um, things that we've just discussed from 1 Corinthians 12, but we do not have love, then in essence, we have nothing. In essence, it's empty, it's hollow, it's worthless, it's, it's nothing. And, and that is such a powerful statement uh, that Paul makes here in, in 1 Corinthians 13. So I'm going to read the first three verses here. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 to 3. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with us there today. We're going to be in that little section of Scripture uh, today. He says, If I speak in the tongue of men and, and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm simply making a noise. And if I have, the, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and I, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So, you know, it's such a hard-hitting three verses as, we, as Paul starts here, because he goes, he's just spent an entire chapter talking about how we're to desire these things and operate in them and how powerful they are. And he goes, but there's one thing that in essence removes all of the power, all of the impact, all of the ability, all of the, the, the good that it's supposed to accomplish. And that's if it doesn't involve love, if it's not, if the center of it isn't love. So without love, my words are empty. It doesn't ma matter if I could prophesy from morning till night. It doesn't matter if I can speak in the tongues of men and of angels. It doesn't matter if, if I can bring all these incredible words to everybody. If I have no love, then it's almost irritating. I don't know if you've listened to a gong ringing over and over and over again or cymbals over and over, but at a point, it's just irritating. It's a noise and, and, and people don't want to hear it. So if we share, it doesn't matter how amazingly it is without love, it's just irritating. It's just noisy. We can have all the knowledge and all the ability um, in the world, but it amounts to nothing. We, we, can have, we can make all the sacrifices. We can be religious. We can serve in church. We can give our money. We can do whatever. But if we don't have love, then all of that gains us nothing. So why? Why is this? Why is it like that? Why is love the one thing that makes all the gifts tick, that makes them all hold their value? Um, and it's because if the gifts are about revealing God, and 1 John 4 verse 16 very clearly declares that God is love, then if we have the gifts without love, how can we reveal God? 
in essence, it would be removing God from the gifts. So if God is love, then we need love in order to reveal God. We, need, we, we, we can't reveal God to the world, even if we operate in all these powerful ways, without love. And so even in John 13, verse 35, a well-known scripture in the Gospel of John says, By this all people will know, Jesus, and these are the words of Jesus, that you are my disciples, that you are the ones that follow me, that you're the ones that belong to me, if you have love one for another. That is just so powerful. So, you know, and that really is the way to gauge the spiritual maturity of a church. And I, and I think it's important to say that we don't all love perfectly from the get-go. You know, I don't, there's still many ways that I either respond to things, react to things, do things that I think to myself in hindsight, that's not who I want to be. That doesn't represent God well. If anybody witnessed me in that moment, they would think that I still have a long way to go. And the truth is I do. So, you know, it, it pains me when, when I go through those moments. And, and I think sometimes, like you said earlier, people know that about themselves and they go, well, I can't represent Christ because I know how I, you know, how I re responded to that situation or, you know, what I did in that situation. So, you know, people kind of disqualify them, themselves. But, but there's a journey. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that as we behold Jesus, as we stand face to face beholding him, we are transformed from glory to glory into his image as by the Holy Spirit. So the power of the Holy Spirit is actually going to transform us. But how you know that a church is being transformed, is on the journey, is maturing, is growing, is becoming more like Jesus, is not by any of the flash or any of the cash or any of the, the, the gifts or any of the, those things are awesome and, and, and they, they all have their context and their worth within what God is how God has called us to use them. But it comes from how people love each other. How do they genuinely care about each other and love each other? And so, and so this is why Paul ultimately says that genuine love is the most excellent way to make God known. Because if God is love, then that's the most excellent way to reveal him. Again, it's not God has love. When it speaks about it. It's not that he acts lovingly, but... He is love. It is the very essence, the very definition of his character, of his personhood. He is the very definition of love. And every single time the world has turned to some other definition of love or tried to redefine love or tried to make up a new context for what love actually means or how it look, you know, what, what it looks like or how it operates, it has created an absolute mess of things, like 100% it's just messy and it gets uglier every single time we try it, right? Because there is only one definition of love. You know, some people define love um, as, you know, that amazing feeling that you get, you know, the goosebumps and the, you know, all those kinds of things. Some people think it means just accepting somebody or some behavior. No matter what it is, we just tolerate and we, we just accept it, whether it's right or it's wrong. Um, some put it down to some undefinable um, uh, indistinguishable, mystical concept that can't really be understood. Um, I know that the ancient Greek philosophers actually um, equated being in love to losing one's mind, to actually going, going crazy. Um, and so we have all these various definitions of, of love. And these days, 
you know, with critical theory and all those kinds of things. Everybody has their own definition, and my truth is my truth, and I'm going to speak my truth, and, you know, you can speak your truth or whatever. And so they all want to define love for themselves. But the problem is love is not just a concept, it's a person. And that person is already defined and has been. He's the one who created you. We don't get to redefine who God is. He's love. So if we, so love is actually well-defined. I don't know if people realize that, but it's actually a well-defined concept because God has revealed himself. And so we, we know what love is. It's God. And God is love. You know? So, so um, ultimately, that's what love looks like. And, here is what it, and Paul says, here's what it looks like. He, he mentions these things about love in contrast to the way that the church in Corinth is actually living out a form of self-love, a form of, it's, they've actually just become self-centered and arrogant. And, and so the only f- form of love that they're operating in is love of self, which is actually the antithesis of the God kind of love. So it, it leads to arrogance, not selflessness. It leads to the opposite of everything that God is. Um, as a result of of pride. And again, so, so Paul comes and he goes, hey, so just so that you know, the gifts are not about you. They're about revealing God's heart. And God is love. And let me quickly help you to know who God is and what love really looks like, apart from all these other things that you've turned it into. And I think that's a message that is still so apt for our world today you know they 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 were living in in selfishness and pride and arrogance and superiority and in that way the church in Corinth was misrepresenting God's heart and misrepresenting Jesus so Paul defines it here's the definition here's the definition of love here's what it's all about 1 Corinthians 13 4 to 7 says love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. And so I just wanted to, in the few minutes that we have left, break that down a little bit, um, some of those statements, and and just look at what it really means. Because it's so easy, again, that's a passage that I think a lot of people have heard. And we can just read over it. Yeah, yeah, love is patient, kind, love. And then we walk out the door and it has like no impact on our lives. And so as I was reading through this and breaking it down myself, it actually was impacting me when I was like, Jesus, help me. I, I need to be more loving. I need to represent you better. I need to still mature in my own life so that I can represent this, this heart to people. Because I could just imagine the impact and the difference that it will make if I'm able to love my kids this way, love my wife this way, love my friends this way, love my church this way, you know, love people I don't know this way, you know, if I'm able to really represent Jesus, it's just so different, you know. So he says love is patient and kind. That's where he starts. And I think that's a tough one, um, especially in our world. I mean, Joburg's a fast-paced city. We're all under pressure. We're all trying to get where we need to be. And we hate being slowed down. You know, we, we are frustrated by incompetence and I think even we've spoken about this often about here at Anchor Church we set such a high standard excellence is a value of ours and uh, our teams operate by that and we always want to do things well and then we go to a restaurant and we order a coffee and um, you know and usually or often um, the, the service is terrible <laughs> you know and and then we start schooling them we're like hey let, let's teach you now what what excellence looks like you know and and it's hard for us to to deal with that incompetence, you know, and, and 
you know, it's just a part of, of who we are, so it makes it really difficult. But it's amazing how oftentimes people think becoming more like Jesus, when they think about becoming more like Jesus, they think in terms of more power, more miracles, more, more um, you know, raising of the dead and, and, and healing of the blind and those kinds of things. But actually one of the first signs of becoming more like Jesus, according to the scripture, is that you're just going to be more gentle. You're just going to be more patient. You're going to be kinder to people. Man, I know that I need that in my life, you know, just, just in general, just like, when you get frustrated, how difficult is it to actually just be kind? And so it's actually a great reminder for us. Every single time we lose our temper, we get impatient, we act unkindly. I still need Jesus. I need his grace. I need to mature. I need to grow. And it's not an opportunity for us to feel condemned. It's just an opportunity for us to go, God, will you help me? I, sh I really desire the more excellent way to become who or what jesus is become like him and be able to represent that love and that that grace um, he goes on he says love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude and i thought it was interesting that he put envy with boasting and arrogance with rudeness like like there's like a combo there those two are like combos um why does he put them together why does he put envy so love does not envy and it does not boast how are they related? And I think that next statement actually ties them together. It says, it's not arrogant or rude. So um, if you think about what arrogance and rudeness is, it's usually when you've made yourself the most important person in the room or the most important thing. So you're arrogant. It's all about you. And as a result of that arrogant, you feel you have the right to be rude and to treat others any way that you want because they're not important. You're important. You know. So the Bible actually says, we are to consider others as more important than ourselves. You know, that's a, that's a crazy statement to make. Like every single other person, you should think of them as more important than yourself. Then you're becoming Christ-like, you know. And so it's the arrogance that actually um, reveals how self-centered we are. And so when somebody else does well or is it blessed in some other way, you're envious. Because you are the one that feels that you deserve everything. You should have everything. Everything should be about you. So now he's successful. Well, why is he more successful than me? I'm, now you're envious. So it's actually arrogance that produces envy because you feel everything is due to you. And that means that one of the surest signs that you still need to grow in this area, one of the most identifiable fruits of, of arrogance is is actually envy and 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 not being able to celebrate the success of others and when you do have success and this is the problem sometimes for people it's not that they don't have the success but when they do have the success they become boastful because they believe that their success is due to them and now if they can boast about the success they can gain more followers or more uh, you know, admirers, or they can make life more about them. So it's an opportunity. Their success is an opportunity for them to point to themselves. And so again, it's arrogance. But love doesn't do that. It doesn't want the glory. It doesn't want to be celebrated. It doesn't want to steal the limelight. It doesn't want to make it about itself. Love is actually a movement away from yourself, which is so interesting because so is faith. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're saying, I can't save myself, so, so it's a movement away from myself. And so love and faith, these start to work together as we go, hey, it's not about me. And so I can actually do things in a way 
that points away from me. And, and it's actually better if no one knows. You know, Jesus even says, like, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Make sure you don't get caught up in the loop of evaluating the goodness of your own actions and so, so doing becoming arrogant. No, give and forget that you've given. Do and forget that you've done because it's not about you. And that is amazing. That's what love does. And, and, it's, and it's so interesting that in our world today, especially with social media, you know, the, the old adage was like, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, like, does it make a sound? These days, it's like, if I do something good and, it, and, I, and I don't post it on Instagram, did I even do it? You know, it's like, we, we have to pro- self-promote, 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 get followers, like show people how awesome we are, like whatever, you know. And, and, and you know, if we do something good and no one knows about it, is it still something good? <laughs> and and the, the answer is that's what love does. Love actually doesn't care about getting the fame, getting the accolades, getting the acknowledgement. It just does it for the pure quality of the action itself and what it represents. It goes on to say that love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And um, and this really is, again, the antithesis of pride. Pride insists on its own way. I'm the one who's right. I'm the one who has it all together. I'm the one who knows more than you do, and I want it done my way. And in that, it's irritable, and it's resentful when others don't toe the line, you know. Um, and, so, and so, again, you know, this just shows us how love not insisting on its own way is a movement away from itself. It's it's not irritable. It's it's not resentful, and that is so tough for us. I mean, resentment and 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 wanting to get retribution feels justified when we've been wronged. But what this says is that love doesn't even do that. It, it, you know, and and I, I keep teaching my boys about this, and it confuses them. When when Jesus says, if somebody strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek so that they can strike it also. Like, don't even respond. In fact. Give them another opportunity to hurt you. Give them another opportunity to, you know, smack you in the face or to, to harm you in some way. And it's like, I can see to my boys sometimes that in the natural, that's totally confusing. What, what do you mean? But like, so if a bully comes up and hits me, I should just let them hit me again. You know, because our world is all about like, stand up for yourself, fight for your right, you know, like that whole thing. And, and actually the way of Jesus is, is very much, you know, even though they've done wrong, do not do wrong in return forgive, bless, you know, and, and, and that's tough for us, I think, for all of us. And so whenever we think that we're doing really great as believers, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, I think we can always go back to these words in 1 Corinthians 13 and evaluate ourselves according to the love scale um, and say, like, how much are we really like Jesus? Are we still resentful? Yeah, sometimes we are. Are we still struggling with unforgiveness? Sometimes we do. Are we still proud? Do we still insist on our own way? Do we get irritable and unkind? Yeah, okay, we still need Jesus. Um, and so it's a great way for us to gauge that. Um, he goes on to say, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And I think that is possibly more important now in our world than than any other time in history, because our world is currently trying to redefine love. It's currently trying to redefine the scriptures. It's trying to redefine everything about truth to whatever it feels is most um, uh, supportive to whatever agenda they may have. And so it is 
currently trying to redefine love as tolerance. That's the main. Now, now love does include some tolerance, but it's not the main aspect of love. It's not the defining factor of love. And so our world is trying to say everything is okay because, because if we love, we would just accept all things as they are. But I think, again, parents know that that's not the truth. You know, teachers know that that's not the truth. Uh, any uh, Coaches know that that's not the truth. If you love somebody, you're often going to address what they're doing that's going to harm them in the future. You know, um, and so you don't tolerate certain things because you love. Mm-hmm. So often love leads to intolerance. I'm not going to accept that. That's not okay for you. That's not the life that God has for you. I'm not going to accept that. This is how uh, I want to guide and lead you in this area. And so love doesn't just mean blatant, you know, unfettered tolerance. It often means the opposite. Um, and we can also say, well, you know, for all of those people that claim that, that, that love just means tolerance. It's like, well, what's the limit of that? What if somebody says, my lifestyle choice is to be a murderer. I want to be a serial killer. That's my lifestyle choice. That's what I identify as. That's who I want to be. So I'm just going to murder people. Are we going to go, you know what? We, we're not going to judge. We're going to tolerate. If that's, and this is what's happening. I mean, there's parts of the world where they are currently trying to legalize and normalize pedophilia as a lifestyle choice, as a sexual orientation. And so, you know, you can, you can engage in that kind of activity with minors because that's just how you're set up. And that's okay. Let's normalize that. What is the limit to when we stop tolerating things that are wrong? And to say that love tolerates things that are wrong is to dishonor, to disgrace. I almost want to use language as strong as to spit in the face of love, to say that, that God would be okay with a child being harmed as, well, that's my truth, or we're just going to tolerate it. It's, it's unthinkable that we would do that. And so, you know, we're not going to go to all the courts in the land and tell them to not prosecute murderers because love accepts all. No, it tells us very clear that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. So it's established in something. It looks like something. And that something is truth. It rejoices instead with the truth. And so God is not going to accept or encourage things in your life that are going to harm you, that are going to break you, that are going to harm those around you. He's going to address those things in love in order to bring you to truth. And so, and so that's the, the balance there, and that's the important bit about how God loves. It's based, love is based in truth. And this is a truth, again, like, okay, so how do we know it's true? Well, we know this truth through the Word of God. He is love, He is truth, and He spoke to us. And it's right there. It's in our Bibles. And so we know what's true. We know what's right. We know um, because God has shown us all these things. Yeah, please. I think uh, with regards to that, you know, so often people look at the scripture and they preach it in the in the um, way that, you know, now you must live up to all of these things. But for us um, as as pastors and uh, for you and Will and Nangi and Lee as, as elders of the church as well, you know, so we so often have to point people away from the things like you uh, were explaining now that might harm them in the future. And, you know, so often people look at us and they're like, well, why are you wanting us to do this? Why are you keeping me from that? And again, you know, it comes out of that place of, 
the fact that we love them and we want the best for them. Um, but, you know, wh what we've experienced so much, which is so true to the scripture at Anchor, is that the only way for, for us to help people get out of that space is to point them to Jesus in every single way. Yeah. So instead of saying to them, look, you're not fulfilling uh, 1 Corinthians 13, you're not loving properly, you're not doing this properly, yeah. you're behaving in this manner, you're not doing that, we, we rather say to them, you know, come, receive, encounter Jesus, get an understanding of, of who God is, how much he loves you. I mean, I, I often say to people, this, this piece of scripture is such a great explanation or, or example of who God is in the case that obviously i mean like you mentioned that god is love you know yeah. if you want to know who god is go read the scripture like yeah. he's the one who endures he's the one that loves he's the one that's patient so instead of saying to people you know you're not fulfilling this you need to go away read 1 corinthians 13 go fulfill that then come back yeah. we say to them come you know we love you come receive from jesus us telling you you you're a fool because you're doing this yeah. doesn't change you it just pushes people away and it's also just pushing people to ourselves again, like you were saying, it's that arrogance and that pride saying we're able to do this, yeah. but but you, you can't come here, like yeah. you're not fulfilling this. Yeah. But what we've experienced so much, and I know you guys can um, can agree with this as well, is that us pointing people to Jesus is genuinely changing people's lives. He's the only one that can change people away from those things they're struggling with through the Holy Spirit and that transformation and through relationship with God, like you said earlier. Yeah. I mean, no one's able to fulfill this. At the beginning of the scripture, where it talks about the fact that we're nothing without love. That scripture is basically saying we're nothing without God. Yeah. If you're unable to know God, and, and uh, I, I just can't remember where, where the, the part of scripture where it's from, but it talks about the fact that um, those that don't love can't know God. And those yeah. that love, it's only because so they know God. Is it the same one? Awesome. And, and I think that that's so important about the scripture. You know, we just want to be pointing people to Jesus constantly. Not pointing people to their sin, just pointing people to Jesus and allowing him to transform them into this loving way of behaving like 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah. That's so good. I, uh, and it's always important for us to remind people of that is, you know, when we find parts of the scripture, like, for example, love that we spoke about here, where we know we don't measure up, it's not an opportunity for us to return to self and say, well, I should try harder. No, it's actually an opportunity for surrender. It's, and I think this is the, the key point, is that people don't realize that the only way we can start fulfilling these things is by submitting ourselves to God. So, you know, surrendering to God, trusting in Jesus to transform us, beholding Him so that He can transform us. And so this should lead us into a deeper focus and a, and a more, more concerted effort at putting our faith in the grace of God in order to change us. Not, you know, it reveals how much we need Jesus so that we can turn to Him, not to turn to ourselves and say, I've got to go and fix that before God can accept me. And I think that is, that is so powerful. Um, and so, and so that's why our message is pointing people to Jesus. And this is, you know, what we get to experience. And so, um, as you mentioned there, he goes on and says, love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And it goes on and it says, love never ends. Uh, you know, some translation says love never fails. It cannot fail. Um, and that's such a, such a powerful truth to know. And so it shows us the true nature of love. Um, and the true nature of love, if, if love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And again, this is so different to, to the critical world that we live in, the cancel culture that we live in. It actually says that the true nature of love is that it loves not based on the performance of the one being loved, but based on the character of the one doing the loving. Because if love endures, it obviously means that it's been forced to endure. It had to overcome some some 
opposition to that love you know if love believes it often it, it you know it means that it's 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 holding on to hope and trusting regardless of how imperfect the one being loved has been if it constantly hopes and constantly bears all things and never fails it continues onwards it tells us that that true love is unconditional and that is the god kind of love and 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 that is you know What's so powerful about that is that, it, like you just said, because God is love, it means that God loves us not because we're lovely, not because we're lovable, but because he is love. And so, so often when we love others, we don't love people because, they're, because they deserve it, but because we've been loved by God. So we've experienced that agape, unconditional love, and we can take that love and extend it to others, even when they don't deserve it which is why we can turn the, the other cheek. It's why Jesus says, I want you to love your enemies. It says even sinners can love those who love them. That's an easy thing to do. To reciprocate love that's been received already is, is, is a pretty natural, easy thing to do. But to be able to love those that persecute you, that insult you, that harm you, and that hate you, that's how you know, okay, now you're operating, operating in something completely supernatural. Now you're becoming like God. Because like we said, Romans 5, 8, even when we were sinners, God demonstrated his love for us. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So he died for those who were rebelling against him. That's the God kind of love. And that really pulls us all together and shows us the true nature of love is that it bears, it believes, it hopes, it endures, and it never fails because it's based on the character of the one who loves. And so oftentimes when I'm doing marriage counseling with couples, I say to them, do not love your husband or your wife based on their performance. You know, whether or not your husband left the toilet seat up or watched an extra hour of rugby on Saturday or, you know, whether your wife burnt the food or, or you know, whatever, whatever <laughs> other thing you can throw in there. Don't, don't love them based on that. Love them based on who you are. And so even if they completely ignore you, never speak to you again and, and you know, watch rugby all day, you love them based on who you are. And if you love each other that way, man, it's going to result in a great relationship and a great marriage. And I'm not saying that husbands should watch rugby all day. Um, so, um, but this is why Jesus says that we can, we can love our enemies and be assured of his love for us. And so we can actually substitute that word love in 1 Corinthians 13 for, the, for the, the name God and just say God is patient and kind. He's not arrogant or rude. He's not irritable or resentful. God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God never fails. And that's such a powerful uh, recognition and realization of what love truly is and what the nature of God truly is. I want to read this last little bit here in 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to end on this. So 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 13 ends like this. And so Paul goes back to talking about the gifts. And he says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, when Jesus comes, when the ultimate and complete redemption of all things has come. In other words, when Jesus returns, the partial will fall away. Then he goes on and he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So we will know God 
to an equal measure in what he knows us. And then he goes in verse 13, he says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. They remain. Um, and he says, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And that whole passage just basically summed up, says, you know, we don't have the full perspective on the love of God even now. Like we don't truly get it. We don't truly know who Jesus is, even though we know him and, you know, we know the scriptures, we have all that. We will just know him at a whole nother level of fullness when we're standing face to face with him one day. But what we can do right now is mature in that knowledge, mature in that love, mature in those actions, mature as believers. In other words, even though we still just know in part and prophesy in part, we can grow and we can know more and more as we go by. And this is how we do it, by holding fast to faith, holding on to hope and continuing to operate in love. But the greatest of all of those is love because God is love. And so it starts by knowing the love that God has for us. If you want to be a believer, the very first, the, the, the starting point, the beginning point of being a believer is knowing the love, believing in the love, trusting in the love that God has for you as an individual even though you're a sinner, and then putting your faith in what Jesus did for you because of that love on the cross. And beyond that, as we are then saved and redeemed by that faith and that grace, we are able to take that love that we've received from God, that unconditional, self-sacrificial love, and we're able to express it to others. And that is a more excellent way. That is how we reveal Jesus. That is how we show the world what God is truly like. When we give up our own rights and our own selves and operate in love to move in a movement away from ourselves in order to reveal Jesus, reveal God in the same way that he revealed himself to us in sending Jesus. And so such a powerful revelation and, and, and understanding of the context of the gifts. Now, when we pray for somebody for healing, what are we doing? We're acting in love. Now, when we share a word with somebody, what are we doing? We're encouraging somebody in love. Now, when we operate in, in, in the working of miracles or the gift of faith, what is it? It's all about revealing the love of God and the power of God to those that don't yet know him. So Anchor Church, this is, this is our mission. This is our vision. This is what we're all about. We're about revealing Jesus, sharing the hope of Jesus with our city and with those who do not yet know him. And so we want to encourage you, get close to Jesus as as Pastor Brent mentioned, just get close to Jesus. Allow him to fill you with that love and then love people around you from that place and operate, desire to operate in the gifts of the Spirit so that you can in even more ways express and reveal that love. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul goes on and he talks about more, some more about prophecy and tongues and these things. And we'll cover that. We're going to talk about speaking in tongues and experiencing the Holy Spirit in that way next Sunday. So make sure that you tune in for that.